for tuning in to doth protest too much our long-awaited finally our long-awaited uh last hymns episode but yeah so and refresh me on so uh, for our listeners who are maybe tuning into the uh, or a more recent listener to the podcast uh, this is the conclusion of a series we did on our favorite hymns and we each went through our top five favorite hymns uh charlie me Stephen, and james and um we each went through our top five, so for a total, I guess that'd be 20 hymns uh, that you would have heard a sample of and some info about throughout the course of this entire series. This is our last one today. So anyways, we'll roll right in. Um, I think we can probably, well, let's do a little catch up for all of us. Uh, James and Stephen, how have y'all been? Uh, things have been all right here. Um, just sort of transitioning into summertime at the church and with... Um, with uh, our oldest child who is about to finish up with pre-k she officially graduated today but has another week of that um i think i think another week well she already got her diploma so she doesn't have to go the rest of the week right right has it in her Uh, hand she's out the door (laughs) yeah it's either it's either tomorrow or next friday that she's done i'm not 100 sure but um and then our youngest uh, is doing well. She's trying to walk and is also um, teething, just like one tooth after another is coming in. And so that's lots of fun. Uh, that's why mm-hmm. she's screaming in the background. Well, we don't um, hear her, but. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> so. Um, and then um, things are good at church. We're going to, um, in true Reformation style, we're going to um, do the 1662 prayer book eucharist on sunday at church so i'll celebrate nice. from the end um and and that'll be fun so to is that to mark the occasion of ascension or seventh east seventh sunday of easter or is it- uh, it's our heritage sunday so the okay. church was built in 1757 so the prayer book that would have been in use would have been the 1662 so uh, what year again was the, the, the building was built in 1757, but the parish was founded in 1664. Okay, so yeah, because I, I remember the you mentioning before on the podcast that the, the parish itself dates back like to the time of R- Richard Hooker. <laughs> right. The old prayer right. Book. So that's that's yeah, it was it was a baby prayer book when uh, when the parish started. So yeah, and um, you can celebrate North End. I couldn't celebrate North End if I, I tried on my altar because the step, like I would, I would fall off the step the way the altar. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> it's not positioned for. Right. The way the way the altar is at our church, it's um it's a table for one thing, and mm-hmm. um, it is you can't actually celebrate facing the people because it's mm-hmm. it the actual table is too big to pull out from the wall, so we normally face east um which is very 
interesting in a in a like a church that is basically you know puritan virginia um mm-hmm. style you know very very spartan not anything on the inside uh, except for the ten commandments the the apostles creed and the lord's prayer are the only sort of things on the inside um for ornamentation um but uh yeah i've celebrated more on the north end of the altar than i have actually facing the people okay um i'll have to come worship at your church one time it sounds like a good time capsule into anglicanism as it um was supposed to be right as we've (laughs) we've argued on this podcast um so that's good um steven i know we caught up a little bit before we hit record and you're sweating your family's sweating (laughs) but yeah still being being high spirits seems so (laughs) i guess yeah absolutely why not i mean uh, you know at this point so i've got a our son is is five weeks and a couple days old so i'm going to be in high spirit and i'm over the initial shock of sleep deprivation now i'm into the routine of sleep deprivation there you uh, go which i didn't know that could be a thing but i'm i'm waking up four times a night and i'm feeling great um but yeah so our ac is out and little man is, is loving that of course and so we're just dealing with all all the fun stuff but i keep coming back to it i, I get i'm kind of an, op- an optimistic person so yeah. i keep coming back to hey everything is great mama and baby are healthy and fine and i mean we could a lot a lot of worse things could be going on so well but, and for uh, yeah what we're, we're, we're having a what we're referring to, listeners, is Stephen's uh, AC is broken, and he lives in Mississippi. So, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's the issue. a friend of mine. Yeah, a friend of mine told me. Uh, he said, "Yeah, you know, but people used to not have air conditioners, and so you shouldn't have it." Listen, man, that's true. But they also used to build houses designed for people that didn't have air conditioners, and now they build houses designed for people that have air conditioners, and mm. they do not dissipate heat well without that AC running. So it's. I was four in the morning. I was at the, the back door open to our bedroom and I was just, you know, had a fan in the doorway, just, you know, swatting bugs and letting in as much cold air as I could until, until he finished eating and I went back to sleep. So it's, right. it's a, it's an adventure out here, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, prayers you hold up. Well, I mean, from what you were saying, it sounds like a little over a week and it should be yeah, gone and working and fixed. So there you uh, go. Charlie's not here with us, but uh, we'll go ahead and um, would anyone like to, between the three of us, would anyone like to go first um, with uh, their last hymn to talk about? I can do that. All right, James, uh, go ahead and um, tell us your hymn and then we'll play a sample of it. So my hymn is most frequently known as Coventry Carol, um, also known as Lule, Lule, that little tiny child, or O Sisters Two.
So uh, Coventry Carol is a fascinating piece of English history. Um, in the Middle Ages in Coventry, there were the Coventry mystery plays that would be put on. Um, and basically what those are is uh, a, a number of plays from the New Testament that portray events that took place in the New Testament. So the Coventry Carol comes from um, one of the two plays that we still have evidence of. It was called the, the Shearman and Taylor's Pageant. Um, and it was a nativity play portraying the Annunciation, the, the slaughter of the Holy Innocents, um, and I think a couple of other things as well. And so Luli, Lule, that little tiny child, is a, um, a kind of lullaby to the Holy Innocents. Um, so we'll go through uh, the the words because I, I mean it's really beautiful. It's also terribly sad, but you know as, as you might expect. But uh, the so so the plays were were um, put on at Coventry Cathedral in Coventry, England, from the 14th through the mid 16th century before they were officially suppressed during the English Reformation. Interestingly enough, um, but there's nothing in here officially um that uh that should uh, fly in the face of our reformation principles um so the words are uh, there's a kind of a chorus almost called a burden and it's luli lule that little tiny child bye bye luli lule so it's a, it's a lullaby oh sisters too how may we do for for to preserve this day this poor youngling for whom we sing bye bye luli lule Herod the king, in his raging, charged he hath this day, his men of might, in his own sight, all young children to slay. That woe is me, poor child, for thee, and every morn and day, for thy parting, nor stay, nor sing, bye-bye, luli lule. And then it does, luli lule, that little tiny child, bye-bye, luli lule. So it is um, specifically for the... Uh, the holy innocents, the children, uh, the boys under the age of two who were slaughtered in Bethlehem when Herod was attempting to kill Jesus. And it's traditionally been understood to be a kind of lullaby sung by the, the Virgin Mary to those children. And there's always been a kind of flair to it um, that it's... Um, that passage from Jeremiah about Rachel weeping over her children, which is read on the Feast of the Holy Innocents. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, it's a particularly beautiful tune, as you could hear, but the words are also, I think, um, and, and, and the, the, the ethos of it is, um, I think, very beautiful and profound. And also, just like I said, it's terribly sad Right, because um, it's about the the unjustified death of those children for Herod's convenience, mm -hmm. which I'm not going to get into politics, but uh, we still have a number of unjustified deaths of children in our society. Um, when um, you know, because people want convenience in their life, um, right. 
which is, I think, mortifying. And our Lord is uh, distressed deeply by that. So every time I hear this, I think about uh, all the children that have died in our society um, for the convenience of another person. Um, well, I'm definitely looking over the words here. It's definitely uh, haunting, uh, haunting words to this tune. Uh, what day is the Holy Innocence? Is that the 27th? 28th. 28th, okay. Um, and like, I've never, you know, I've never um, been in part of a service that's observed it. I mean, usually that's kind of that time in the church life where a lot of things disappear you know, everything kind of, <laughs> everyone disappears. Um, you know, there's what, St. Stephen's Day is falls right. that week. Um, and um, yeah, the, the mask of the, the commemoration of the remembrance of the massacre of the Holy uh, Innocence. So, you know, and um, kind of just historical note, um, Herod the Great uh, is why is just known, well known from history and widely attested to um, in in history um, outside of just uh, the scripture. And, and you know, the immediate thing, thing I think of is a lot of the more historical critics of scripture. Um, uh, they 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 question the historical veracity of something like the massacre of the innocents ever happening. But uh, I think uh, just the, the 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 larger portrait we still do have of Herod um, definitely shows that. I mean, he had several of his wives murdered. Um, right. He had some of his sons murdered. Um, there was the saying, um, "Better a pig than a son in the house of Herod." <laughs> um, well, the, the, the thing that that is troublesome about that perspective that that there's no evidence of this is one that it assumes that archaeology is um the the defining thing the defining characteristic of biblical studies mm-hmm. um and uh, another thing is that it's based on faulty principles about whether or not Herod actually engaged in this one it was perfectly consonant with his character Herod was a horrible right. human being right uh, and two uh, it's assuming that this was a mass genocide but Bethlehem was a hamlet you know we're probably talking about 25 kids maybe you know no more than a hundred right um, there's not going to be ample um, and you know there's not going to be ridiculous amounts of archaeological evidence to support that mm-hmm. um, because it's not a mass genocide. Um, it's, you know, so, so um, that, uh, you know, that, that I, I just did a series, a Bible study series with my church on Matthew back um, uh, earlier in, in 2022. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the ones who I think made the clearest case for that was, um, was RTE France, Dick France and his, new international commentary on the new testament for matthew's gospel um yeah i have that commentary it's a good commentary yeah when, from when the herod, bits i've read yeah and hello herod charlie uh, was, charlie is here die. he uh when herod thought he was about to die he gathered together several thousand people in a coliseum and gave orders that when he died 
um, soldiers should enter the Colosseum, slaughter everyone there, because he wanted there to be great mourning at the time of his death. Right. He knew that they weren't going to mourn him. Right. But he wanted there to be great mourning. So, yep. you know, killing a few dozen uh, babies is is nothing for this dude. Yeah, right. jo Josephus wrote about that, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, to, to go to James's uh, non-political point, I mean, he was doing this so that he could have a career, okay? I think that's a valid excuse, you know, career advancement. Uh, <laughs> um, but also, I mean, this reminds me, I, I saw there was a painting I ran across um, a while ago. I've never seen the original, but uh, by Holman Hunt, The Triumph of the Innocents. Have y'all familiar with that one? Mm-mm. It's a depiction of Mary and uh, Mary. It's 1800s, I think, is when this was painted. But a depiction of Mary, Joseph, and the child Christ fleeing to Egypt, and the uh, the spirits of of these these two year olds, these infants, are with them and jumping around and celebrating Christ mm -hmm. on the road. It's it's a beautiful take on an awful situation. Uh, it's, it's called the Triumph of the Innocent, and so. A bit of a bit of redemption there. So, There's the baby. There's a baby. There's all these ba all these babies on the show. Um, so, um, Rob, I, I'm seeing that the oldest known text author, according to Wiki, is Robert Crude. Do you know anything about him, James? Or what? so um, he's the one who arranged it, um, and I, I think. Uh, in in recent memory but it was there, there's no indication of who originally wrote it for the actual pageant of the shearman and taylors mm -hmm. um it's been sort of lost to history but i think he arranged it for the or see, so uh, another one that i've seen the hymnal 82 it says it was harmonized by martin phallus shaw in the late 19th early 20th century so okay so i'm, I'm not 100 percent sure yeah charlie how are you thanks for joining i just saw your message now you had an emergency come up but glad to see you here um cool any other things questions for james or thoughts on coventry carol um do you want to go next charlie I think I probably um, should just because I, I, I don't would, know how I would love to. Um, Wait, Stephen, I'm sorry, Stephen, you were saying. Stephen has hands full of babies, so I think that maybe Steven. it would be a good idea for me to go next. Oh, yeah, go, go ahead, Charlie, go ahead. <laughs> um, so um, my hymn is Of the Father's Love Begotten. Uh, it's an ancient hymn, comes from the 5th century. Uh, the... Um, Author is usually uh, simply referred to as Prudentius. Um, his full name is Aurelius uh, Prudentius Clemens. Um, he became a Christian late in life. Uh, before that, he was a lawyer and a provincial governor for a little while. Um, a lot of people compare, compare him to St. Ambrose for those reasons, uh, because Ambrose became a bishop after being uh, a governor, um, actually in the same basic neck of the woods. Um, uh, Prudentius was in Spain, so was, so was Ambrose. Um, and uh, um, 
anyway, um, the hymn, <laughs> I love it uh, for a couple of reasons. One is the tune, which is just a very simple um, plain song chant, uh, which was used you know, for many different things. I mean, anything that had the right meter, you could you could sing to this tune. Uh, but another is simply uh, the fact that I think that uh, Prudentius is able to express uh, some really deep Christology in a very simple, straightforward way. And I, I remember um, when I was in seminary and we would sing this hymn, Every time we would sing it, something different from, you know, a conversation we'd had in class or something would come to mind, and I and I would think, oh, okay, this hymn uh, teaches that better than anything that I heard in class, and so I, I thought, well, maybe I should just learn this hymn. Maybe, maybe that would be the best way to learn this Christology, and so. Um, I don't know if I have the whole thing memorized, but I probably have uh, large portions of it memorized just for that purpose, because I can't think of a of a better way to, to teach the Christology than through this hymn. So I'll, I'll just read a, a little bit of it. Um, or actually, uh, are we playing the, the tunes uh, well, today? Yeah, we'll go ahead and uh, I'll go Let's ahead. Let's do that, and then I'll, I'll, and then I'll go into the text a bit. First stanza, and I'm reading the translation that is in uh, Lutheran service book. Um, of the Father's love begotten, ere the worlds began to be, he is Alpha and Omega, he the source, the ending he. Of the things that are, that have been, and that future years shall see, evermore and evermore. And so, um, uh, right off the bat, uh, we have the eternal um, begetting of the Son, because it's of the Father's love begotten, ere that is before the worlds began to be. So this is this is talking about the internal relationship uh, between God the Father and God the Son in the Trinity. It's not talking about his his birth as the man. Um, and I, I remember when it first struck me that that's what this was talking about. And I thought, um, well, here's, you know, Athanasius's theology um, expressed in a beautiful way, very simply in a hymn. So, you know, he's begotten eternally. He's the Alpha and the Omega. So the beginning and the end and everything in between. 
He's the source and the end, which is, you know, really uh, same thing as Alpha and Omega. And then what is he the source and the ending of? Well, of the things. And which things? The ones that are, the ones that have been, and the ones that future years shall see. So mm -hmm. um, the, uh, the first stanza is all about Jesus being eternally part of the Trinity. It's about him being the creator. It's about him um, being he, he who in, um, in which all things that exist subsist. Um, and that can't and that they can't exist without him. And so, I mean, um, I, I think when I was in seminary, it took um, several hours for my professor to say what Prudentia says in about 10 seconds. Hmm. Um, and uh, that just shows the the power in a general sense of of good uh, theological um, poetry. And then after that point, um, uh, in the second stanza, it actually goes to, to Jesus' birth in time. Oh, that birth forever blessed, when the virgin, full of grace, by the Holy Spirit conceiving, bore the Savior of our race, and the babe, the world's redeemer, first revealed his sacred face evermore and evermore. And so it goes then to the birth. Starts with the eternal uh, begetting, then goes to the the, the birth in time, um, and in the Nicene Creed you, you have the same move because it, the Nicene Creed confesses that Jesus is um, born or he is begotten of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. But the way that it's expressed in Greek is the same verb applies to both the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary. It's just that when the Holy Spirit is doing it, it's begetting. And when the and that same verb, when a when a woman is doing that, she's giving birth. Mm -hmm. And so uh the first two stanzas, I think, mirror or I mean are are that phrase in the in the Nicene Creed. Um this is he whom seers and old time chanted of with one accord. So talking about all the old testament prophecies, um, whom the voices of the prophets promised in their faithful word. Now he shines the long expected. Uh, let creation praise its Lord evermore and evermore. And so it moves also into the, the fact that the Old Testament often uses light imagery to talk about um, the coming of Jesus. And that's also uh, very much part of John chapter one, um, uh, which I think uh, this, uh, this hymn is, is really it um, more than anything else it's probably a hymnification of of john one um and then there's just one more stanza before the uh doxology so i'll, I'll give that one too oh ye heights of heaven adore him angel hosts his praises sing powers dominions bow before him and extol our god and king let no tongue on earth be silent every voice in concert ring evermore and evermore it's really kind of a two stanza doxology but this one um doesn't hold back at all with the idea that uh that jesus is divine um mm -hmm. you know this is 
We have lots of wonderful Christmas hymns that that uh, kind of uh, um, are all in on Jesus's humanity, and that's important. Um, but this is one that kind of goes all in on Jesus's divinity, um, and uh, and we need both. I mean, we need to confess both. I'm uh, my 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 people joke with me that it's not Christmas until. Um, until Pastor Lehman has talked about God pooping in his diaper. Hmm. Uh, um, and, and so I, I really, really, in my preaching, tend to emphasize um, the human side. Um, and uh, and I, this hymn, you know, is important to, to uh, you know, to show that Jesus is the eternal son of God also. So that's why this made it into into my top five i don't think it's number five in my top five it's just the fifth one we got to well i was doing my uh, when i get to i'm doing my number one uh i i not that ever we had to do it that way but i was kind of counting down from my least to my most favorite of my time <laughs> yeah no um well your hymn reminds me charlie uh well first off i wanted to know i think you may have mentioned you mentioned the original author of course but the translators are two anglican clergy it looks like yes one of them I'm not familiar with, H.W. Baker or Sir Henry Williams, um, but uh, Sir Henry Williams Baker. But I am familiar with John Mason Neal. He was um, he wrote a few hymns, a couple ones. He's translated I... a lot of great hymns. He one of my yeah. other favorites that he uh, translated is uh, uh, "Ye Watchers and Ye Holy Ones." Yes, that I keep forgetting that he's the. Um, translator of that and uh he was part of the uh oxford movement and nobody's perfect so that's okay uh but uh he was all i was hoping james would laugh when i said that um but uh he, he but he was always attracted more toward uh the eastern hemisphere of christianity rather than looking to rome um yeah so uh he but he was, he's interesting to read about, I think. There's a book I have called The Quest for Sobernos, but I've never, uh, by him, but I, to be honest, I've never read it yet. But um, Drew, did you use Eastern Hemisphere as a pun? Because if not, that's a missed opportunity. I am talking about Eastern Orthodoxy. Um, oh, I know, I know, but like, you're, this is a hymn podcast uh hem hemisphere yeah the hemisphere yeah <laughs> literally just got that <laughs> yeah um yeah uh any thoughts oh but but i was gonna say uh this hymn it really uh is a good example of how hymns can perfectly uh present theology in very in a very concise way and in a way that's uh, pulls at your heartstrings, I suppose, because it's set to good music. That um, doesn't, uh, that's one thing that's great about older Christian hymnody, and I guess traditional hymnody, if you will, um, it, that you don't always see in a lot of current worship music or a lot of, for instance, a lot of the uh, praise and worship music, as it's often called, um, uh, where it's, um, you know, maybe a one stanza or two stanzas of something that's kind of repeated over and over. I, I know it's kind of a, a stereotype of like, because there's not all 
contemporary worship music's like that. But um, a lot of these old hymns, I mean, the texts of them are just very rich with theological language. And like this basically, in many ways, at least the second article of the creed, it basically just sets, um, you know, Nicene theology uh, to music. And so, um, and I don't, and I feel like with two Anglican translators, this has to be in uh, 82, the Episcopal Church's 1982 hymnal, but I'm not, um, James, does this come up? Has this, is this sung here and there in your setting, this tune or this hymn? It's, it, it's um, in the, it has to be in hymnal 82, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, no, it is, it is. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know when, when we've sung it, maybe, you know, it's, it's around Christmas, I think. It's around, okay, well, that would make sense with the incarnational language and and even the pre-existing language, as uh, Charlie pointed out, especially from that first verse, um, yeah, like I like I said, it's it's sound theology set to good sounds. Um, that's the strength of a lot of traditional hymnody. Um, yeah, it's in the uh, it's in the Christmas section in the um, um, in the hymn eighty two. Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. All right. Um, I could go next or Steven, which, uh, which of us two? I'll, I'll go. Go ahead, man. I think uh, it's got to keep them moving around. Yeah. So I've picked in Christ alone, which is no doubt the most recent of all most of these, 2001. So, all right. Yeah. Go ahead and play it. Okay, so yeah, this was uh, 2001, written by uh, Stuart, the words are by uh, Stuart Townsend, and music by Keith Getty, uh, they're from the UK, and uh, I mean, it's one of those songs that the, each each stanza is arresting and kind of kind of stands on its own. Um, one of the things that, for a while ago, and I don't have a tattoo, but there was a phase in my earlier uh, adolescence where I was really trying to, I wanted one, and I was like, it's going to be one of these lines. And honestly, I've got to thank, uh, I've got to thank Stuart Townsend for making them all so awesome. I could not decide, so I never got it. Um, that's that's kind of my, uh, my experience of this. But uh, verse one is, uh, in Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving ceases, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Um, to me, the song is, it takes you through the gospel and emphasizes the gospel at every point. It emphasizes what Christ has done for us and what uh, his work uh, means for us. Um, the language goes from kind of universal and, uh, you know, making declarations about the state of the world. 
uh, instead of every human person because of what Christ has done, but also very, very personal in terms of how we, uh, how we experience uh, the, the gospel in our own individual lives. And um, one of the most, I think, arresting verses, I mean, they're all good, like I said, but uh, verse three is, uh, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. Um, to me, it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's an incredible song. It blew my mind to find out that it was written in this millennium. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it has, it, it you know, it's, it's not a rockin' anthem. There's not a chorus. <laughs> which one of my pet peeves is guys that go back and like, I should put a chorus on this beautiful yeah. song that has gotten the church. Like, like amazing grace. Uh, my it, chains are gone. <laughs> uh, it, it's not one of my biggest pet peeves. My wife loves them. And she, whenever we hear one, she looks at me and she's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I, I just, to me, it's, it's, I don't know how you, I don't know how you sit down and go, I could improve this. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's it's recent. I mean, this is 2001. You think about all the turmoil that was going on in the in the Western world at that time, um, and uh, and to me, it's it's gotten a lot of people through a lot of things. So, and it was written by an Anglican. So, there you go. <laughs> I didn't there know that. Go. Stuart Townsend. Stuart yeah. Townsend is a is is uh, the son of a C of E priest, and he's also a. Um, um an evangelical yeah yeah i did not um connected with like uh the alpha crowd kind of or or i, I don't know. know i'm just i'm, I'm looking at um i'm looking at his wikipedia and and learning as as we're talking so yeah um yeah. i didn't know that either this yeah. is actually um we are talking offline uh well we were online but we were off the podcast earlier reminding each other what hymns we were going to be doing today and i said this one would would be in my if we did like a top 10 i mean this is such a beautiful tune mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and of course it represents one of the five solas of the reformation solas christus and um mm-hmm. and but i mean also speaks to the particularity of christ in which all christians of course confess um and yeah, but like I said, sound theology is set to beautiful music that moves you. Um, there's nothing yeah. better. And this also has a, a personal aspect to it um, because it, it, it talks about how that affects um, the individual. It's written from the individual perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And yeah, it's yeah. Recent. It's, it's, it, does, it did blow my mind too to, to know how recently that it was a, it's a product of the 21st century and how good right. a piece of music it is for, I mean, you just don't, you know, not that, like, I don't know, it's not that, sometimes I think about this, but I think of like, you know, music and movies overall, like in my mind, the way I think that like, they've gotten worse or entertainment has gotten worse or, or you know, it's just, um, yeah. uh, just if you were to look back of course i'm weird because i like really old movies and um you know but it's like obviously how did we have bach a few centuries ago 
and now pick any song off the top you know billboard in the pop charts it's like you see you just have this like there's this that um idea that humanity's uh taste of things have really deteriorated or something like that i don't know i'm not going to get in Mm -hmm. i don't really know where i'm going with that but but yet nevertheless you still Mm -hmm. see um and i know taste is all subjective anyways but you just still see um humans create such beautiful things at any time in any place even today uh maybe it just i don't know seems more maybe i'm looking at it the wrong way um because maybe it's just that there's always been junk and there's always been there's just more good stuff there's just I don't more know. content yeah there's just so much content and so much of what we see plays to the lowest common denominator for clicks and so that's the good a, stuff there it's just you have to dig for it right yeah and, and I, it's it's kind of unfair to to compare bach with um i don't know what's a popular song i have no idea i'm not cool anymore what's what's a anyone know like if i were to turn on a top 40 station and here okay it looks like i'm not the only one this is the group i thought would have been to know right this is <laughs> well, i don't know today, so. yeah i haven't um <laughs> but yeah just maybe it's unfair because we have such um i mean we've had uh, uh modernity is advanced we've had an industrial revolution and like the it, the internet was invented all this stuff's happened in the past few centuries the populations exponentially decreased are increased a lot more people are able to do these things that only a few people were seen as like the ones to be, you know, so uh, it's, yeah, you're going to get well, uh, mass consumption, mass output. You're going to get, and maybe it's, you're just going to get that lowest con- common denominator uh, phenomenon when it comes to what we consume. I don't know. in as far as music. But I want to say too, I want to say too, like uh, to connect in uh, with Charlie's, Charlie's uh, God pooping in his diaper. There's a little line in verse two, um, not, not Charlie pooping in Charlie's diaper, you know, uh, the term Christmas term. <laughs> um, but uh, in verse two, in Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babes, uh, which is, a, I think, it's beautiful. This gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid here in the death of Christ I live. Mm-hmm. Of course, that, that uh, wrath of God line was a bit controversial. You had people that were, didn't like the language of wrath at all. They didn't want that in there. And the other people that didn't like the idea of you know, wedging in the satisfaction theory of the atonement in there either. And so there's a bit of hubbub about that. But it's a beautiful, beautiful verse nonetheless. Well, I especially like that last hymn. I pulled up the lyrics, uh, no power of hell, no scheme of man. Can never pluck me from yeah. his hand till he returns or calls me home. Mm-hmm. Here's the power of Christ, I'll stand. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Good, awesome choice. So mm-hmm. that's your number one, Stephen? Or is it like, did you rank? Them? I don't think I even ranked them that way. I just picked some that it meant a lot to me, you know, which is how a, how a Christmas hymn got in there and everything. So I just think it's, it's ones that, you know, I, I think I think through like, this one is the only one I ever considered permanently etching onto my body. So I guess maybe mm-hmm. so, but uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's a definitely really great one. Right. And, you know, I just thought of music, a lot of music I do listen to that comes out today, but it's all um, lo-fi music and lo-fi music is not played on uh, 
top billboard charts on radio state. But if you go into a restaurant, a lot of restaurants play lo-fi music. I know. It's there's, a, there's a Lord of the Rings lo-fi. There's a Lord of the Rings lo-fi channel on Spotify. Oh, okay. oh really? Okay. Fantastic. Just zone yeah. out, study whatever you want to do, like read something. It's great. <laughs> so, yeah. And um, yeah, there's always been kitschy music uh and court and bad music uh at all yeah so uh not completely retracting what i said earlier but but yeah great that's a great hymn and a great uh the fact that it was written in our lifetimes is great um i realize i'm the last one and uh actually your hymn was 2001 it said Stephen. mine is the second youngest my hymn was written in 19 hold on i had it earlier um where's it at 1969 so uh, i thought it was a little bit later but it's 1969 um and so i'll go ahead and at least the tune is 1969 maybe i'll find when the text was written um after that but my hymn is this is the feast of victory i'll share more about it after i play it Okay, I just uh, looked up. I had the wrong date. The words for this were written in 1970, uh, but it's not really that the words actually go back to the first century because they're from the book of Revelation. But the, the, the arrangement of the words and the adaptation of the words uh, is by a guy named John W. Arthur. So those are, and it's from Revelation 5 12 through 13 or sorry, chapter 6, 12 through 13, and chapter 19, 5 through 9. Book of Revelation, of course, being the apocalypse of John, the, the visions of what is to come, and the visions of uh, heaven in all its glory, and what uh, our ultimate, what, what we're promised will be our ultimate destiny as believers um, being uh, in the eschaton. So, uh, the, yes, the words are adapted from Revelation, uh, and, and it's the, the music's by Richard Hillert, uh, the, and this tune is from 1975. Um, so uh, I don't know where I read the 1969 piece, but um, so yeah, 1970 for the text and 1975 for the music. This hymn uh, is one of my, I remember hearing it when I was very young, it's commonly sung in Lutheran churches. Um, it was uh, sung in the Lutheran church I grew up, um, especially during Easter season. I don't know if you would hear it any time outside of Easter season. It's all it's often used um, as the song of praise 
in a lot of Lutheran liturgies rather than just uh, one of the hymns, a hymn in itself being sung. Like, but um, I remember singing, I don't remember if it was when in the service, I remember hearing it growing up. I remember hearing it in the Lutheran church and um, we, and the, it's in the hymnal 82 for the, for the Episcopal church as well. Not, um, not sung as much in Anglican settings as, as Lutheran settings, uh, because I, uh, I know John Arthur was a Lutheran pastor and I'm pretty sure, yeah, Hillert was as, as, uh, as well. And so, uh, I just had to look and see, yeah, they they were both, uh, from the predecessor Lutheran, Lutheran bodies of the ELCA and, um, but, and all Lutherans sing it. I mean, I was raised Missouri Synod and this has been in all their hymnals. I don't know if it's in the LSB. Is it in the LSB, Charlie? He froze. Yeah, it's in uh, Divine Service 1 and 2 um, with okay. different musical settings. And that's the, um, yeah, it's been, it's been in common use in the Missouri Synod since uh, 1982. Um, the, our, our liturgical settings that are kind of uh, Vatican II-ish um, use the Dignus Est, which is this is the feast. And the Gloria in Excelsis um, is in the old common service. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and there's all kinds of debate over whether it should replace the Gloria in Excelsis. Mm -hmm. And but it's it's kind of there to stay, I think. Yeah, I um I think it's just loved by a lot of, at least in the Lutheran context, it's just loved by a lot of people because I think the tune is so. I love the, the, of course, there's a couple settings, but the tune that I just played, the more common one by Hiller. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I, I, I know you mentioned Vatican too. This, this tune is really the product of, from what I, as I've done the research, kind of that, the, the 60s and 70s kind of folk contemporary type of uh, church music that was coming out of like, on the in the catholic side it was coming out of like gia publications and you know some names that are often associated with that are like david haas marty hogan i'm typically some a lot of that stuff i find a little uh, on the you know not my taste uh, some of it I, I find a little sappy some of it um not not particularly a fan of a, a lot of it um also also has kind of a dated feel i never got that feeling and maybe it's because i remember hearing it as young and I've always felt attached to this this tune and but and the text as well which I'll get into but I've never had that feeling that this is like a dated 1960s 70s thing I, I've always found this 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 tune powerful um so um just a little info I guess I'll read through some of the stanzas um of the of the text and of course again it is taken from uh, those passages from the book of Revelation I mentioned a little bit ago. The refrain is, this is the feast of victory for God, for the lamb who was slain has be, actually, no, sorry. It, the refrain is, this is the feast of victory for God. Yeah, for the lamb who was slain has begun his reign. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Um, and the verses read, one verse is, worthy is the lamb, or sorry, worthy is Christ, the lamb who is slain, whose blood is set us free to be the people of God. Another verse, they're very short verses. Another is power, riches, wisdom, and strength, and honor, and blessing, and glory are his. 
um, sing with all the people of God and join in the hymn of all creation. And the last verse is, and this always gets me choked up and I don't know why it's maybe because it's that last, it, it's a very, I'm just trying to think of the word, but the, the, the hymn is very, um, uh, it, it's, 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 it's like an anthem in a way. It kind of just gets you, it really lifts you up, kind of pumps you up a little bit too <laughs> because you're singing of like the final glory and you're singing about victory and you're singing about Christ's victory and his conquering of death and evil and all the things that um, give pain and suffering that we've ever experienced. The, the, you know, Christ has set his expiration date on that and this is this hymn is uh a, a singing of praise and 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 for the because we we have our hope in that right and so uh but that's something about that last verse that um uh for the lamb who was slain has begun his reign and it's shorter and so it, it i'm not going to sing it here sometimes i sing on the podcast i think i've hummed on the podcast i don't feel like singing on it right now um but it, it's the words are just drawn out longer because it's there's not as many words but it's still of course the same notes right so um but just the way it's sung just always gets me it always hits me um and so yeah i just love the hymn again it's like kind of like stevens a more recently not written in my lifetime um may I don't, i'm not gonna yeah i'm not gonna speculate on if anyone on here if it's been written in their lifetime i know not james or stevens <laughs> maybe not charlie's either I don't know. <laughs> so, um, but yeah um, I, I just barely i just barely um am younger than it you're barely younger than it okay barely i'm not gonna ask that because <laughs> remember the tune and the text are from of course actually all of it the the text actually predates predates all of us because john wrote the text <laughs> as he was receiving his vision <laughs> so um but yeah this is the feast of, of victory for our god and um that's yeah that's my hymn any anyone else i don't know anyone else like this hymn anyone not like this hymn i, I don't know if, um, um we we would sing it when i was attending grace lutheran and boone um when i was in college um and i couldn't um I, I know if i listen back to the podcast episode after we're done i can hear the the actual tune but i um i think uh, so I know I know they did that in the um, the ELW Evangelical mm -hmm. Worship, um, and I, I always thought of it as you know um, good, and and I love the words. Um, uh, the tune I didn't find particularly like beautiful or haunting, but but the words were what what mattered. So um, mm -hmm. I always I always appreciated it when when that was used as the the hymn of praise. So. Yeah, the, the text, the adapt, the one who took John's words from Revelation and adapted it was, uh, he's another guy who used it. He also was John, John W. Arthur, not John, uh, the, John the Apostle or John of Patmos, whatever. You know. <laughs> uh, we're not getting into that uh, debate. Um, <laughs> so, but John W. Arthur, um, I guess he died young. Like, he died in 1980 and he's only 58. Uh, I had a rare form of like pre-senile dementia called Pick's disease. Uh, I, there, his web, the, the church he served on and off at as a pastor was First Lutheran Church in Palo Alto. Um, 
and uh, Palo Alto is that yeah how do you pronounce this in California and um, he was known for being I guess liturgically experimental I mean it was that time it was all the I guess the liturgical movement along with the contemporary type stuff that was going on in, in the Vatican II Catholic Church and all and um, again I just don't get that vibe from this him i don't i don't know but but uh but it's funny the 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 first lutheran has a whole sub page an article on the website dedicated to him and at the end i just like where it says there were many tributes to his intensity and creativity at the time of his death and friends and colleagues remembered the parties that he and his wife mary held a friend named david wrote john and mary's parties were never obligations they were always events and as I try to recall why that was so, I become convinced that it had something to do with the way guests were drawn into an encounter with John and with each other. So he, he uh, must have been, you know, someone that was, uh, you know, some, someone to be blessed to know, I guess, just one of those personalities. And then uh, the, the guy who wrote the tune is Richard Hillert. Um, and he also... They're both Lutheran. The guy I just talked about, John, he also served when he wasn't pastoring. He, for three years, he served at LSTC, Lutheran School of Theology, um, Chicago, back in the 70s. Then Richard Hiller, um, who wrote the tune, uh, born in Wisconsin, taught for a long time at um, Concordia and River Forest. Um, and so, yeah, these are both, you know, very Midwestern Lutheran guys, um, but yeah i love the hymn a great hymn so all right uh well thank you all for it was a good selection we had today i enjoyed doing this series um i don't know when we'll do our what our next topic of our next host series will be we'll um we'll keep everyone posted but uh listeners uh hope you enjoyed this and we'll look forward to you tuning in again and hearing for me and and one of our other co-hosts as we uh, do more episodes on this podcast and, and engage with uh, theology and talk with more scholars as we as theologians as we uh, bring them on the show. So thank you and God bless.